This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our 2023 season reviews for the Baltimore Ravens. Today, we're going to talk about the offensive tackle situation. Uh, four players really in question. So this ought to be a short episode if you've listened to a lot of these <laughs> monsters as we've been through this. Joining me for this is Alec Pulianis. Alec, how are you doing? Doing great, Ken. Great to talk to you again. Always, Alec uh, uh, does a great job on one winning pod. Uh, tell folks also where they can just hit you up on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us at One Winning Pod, or you can follow me at A Pulianis. All right. Uh, so the tackle situation a difficult one for the Ravens because, in addition to this enormous exodus of talent across the roster at multiple expensive positions, edge, wide receiver, uh, etc., they have to. Fortunately, they don't have the quarterback leaving this year, but um, they have to try and figure out how they replace what I think will be both offensive tackles replace or extend that's that's on the table as well over the next two seasons. But uh, Morgan Moses, one more year under contract, Ronnie Stanley, uh, theoretically two years under contract, but you know, there is a decision point this year with a potential $8.3 million savings. And then a subsequent decision prior to the 2025 season where there would be a $20 million savings if they cut him in the final year. Uh, a, a lot of, of barrier of entry costs that will figure into uh, what options they have in addressing the position. That's right. This is a, I was actually kind of excited to do this show with you because I think tackles a fun one that we've kind of had on the back burner since signing Moses. Now, granted we did pick up um, Falele in the draft, but there hasn't been too much action to this position. It's been the same group of characters for a couple years in a row now. And and now suddenly everyone is leaving by 2025 at the latest, uh, most of which leaving by 2024. And this is not a position group that you can turn over in one year, in my opinion. And I feel like you feel the same way. It takes time to develop these players, particularly in the areas that the Ravens end up drafting. And also... Um, Tack, like le- good left tackles like just simply do not become available in free agency because they're such a hot commodity. It's similar to the quarterback. You almost like get screwed into signing them as long as they're good enough because you just can't live without them. And um, obviously you want to, you want to sign the great ones. That's, that's easy, but I feel like even the margin players get signed because it's just so hard to live without in the league. And uh, it makes it, you, it, I feel like this is a situation I'm shocked. Like Moses got to us. Uh, granted, right tackles are a little bit easier to find, but I feel like both tackle positions um, are usually homegrown for that reason. Yeah, that's it, it's a very good point across that. I have very high barriers to entry. Assigning uh, a right tackle is always much cheaper, but it's become more expensive in these last couple of years. One of the interesting things about Moses, despite the fact he's always been very good in space, is that he's really never been considered a left tackle option at any point for the Ravens. And obviously, Stanley's missed plenty of time. Uh, but they've always used either Falele or McCary, McCary primarily, at, at that position to replace him. And it's never been a consideration that they would move Moses to the left side. I always found that surprising, but after a while, I no longer yeah. questioned it. You know, it was one of those things like, okay, they're not doing it. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess let's start, jump right in on, on Ronnie Stanley, who certainly was at a crossroads this season. He really needed to play to make sure that that $8.3 million savings the Ravens can have this year 
wasn't you know uh, harvested by the team basically. But I, you know what I've seen from him is his play in the last few games in particular has put me over the fence, over the line, whatever you want to call it, into that he's worth the gamble for 2024 now. Uh, I was not there at midseason. I really thought it was still very much up in the air that the, that the rest of the season was kind of determinate. And obviously, the most recent information is the most pertinent, in, in particularly for a player coming back from injury like Ronnie has. And I thought he's looked quite a bit better these last four games or so. He did. And it was one of those things he got injured really early in the year. Uh, missed some time, came back, kind of nagging injury problem. He even like looked gimpy at some point during uh, the postseason, and it's one of those things where just you know Stanley just couldn't uh, stay healthy this year, and that resulted in I feel like a really difficult season to evaluate because you just really have no clue how healthy he was at any given point in the season. I guess like he was fully healthy at the beginning, <laughs> right? But uh. Yeah, it, it's a tough one. I do think with the performance that we saw in the uh, divisional round specifically that he secured himself uh, the opportunity to play next year. And and frankly, like we were talking right before the show, at $8 million, I don't really see who you could sign at tackle. Um, and I feel as though you would have to spend money at tackle. You would not be able to simply just draft your way out of that problem at that point. And yeah, I think I think it's fine to keep him at this at this rate because he has the potential to perform at over that uh, eight eight million dollar figure. I'm looking at the last four games, and he's had an aggregate score of point eighty three, which has raised his score for the season up to point sixty three. Okay, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's his raw score. Now that the the just in grade levels, the last four weeks. Give that to you because I think that's that's easier to to see. After consecutive Fs against Jacksonville and San Francisco, both on the road in week sixteen and fifteen and sixteen, um, where he played very poorly both games, uh, he's had an A, a C, an A, and a B plus in the last four games as I scored it. Uh, that's enough for me to say, and and also just trait wise, characteristic wise, what I was seeing, getting out in front of run blocks, lining people up in space, uh, blocking. Rather than mirroring and giving ground consistently, he was blocking to maintain a broader pocket, which I think helped Lamar um, at times there. I I just think there was a lot more to like about Stanley's play these last four games. He actually has looked better, um, and and damn it, it's about time in terms of – not not it's about time. That's the wrong thing. He really needed it. Let's put it that way. Um, His play for the year, even when I add in those four games, is barely above Fa'alele for the year. Fa'alele – um, 0.62, he was at 0.63. And to give relative marks for everybody, McCary, I don't want to get this right, is either 0.70 or 0.71. So he, he outplayed Stanley in, in aggregate for the season. But let me get to it so, so I'm not misstating the number. Yeah, McCary at tackle, 0.70 for the year. That's a, That'll be right there at about a, a middle of the C range, whereas Stanley was at the top of or high in the D range, we'll call it, or maybe actually midway in the D range, frankly, um, for, for that differential. And um, Falele uh, played well the last uh, four games of the season in totaling high 90s, I believe, in terms of snaps. So it's, it's a game and a half as we as we look at this thing. Yeah, the, the, the games he played Jacksonville through Houston, he had a total of 97 snaps, but it's the best football he's played. He had a, he had a SC average uh, for that time, which is which is a huge step up from where he'd been um, early in his career. Uh, and then that Moses was the best of the tackles at point seventy seven, and, and that's a solid B for him for the whole year. Uh, he's the one guy who's not in any danger at all of what his playing time, what his responsibilities will be for next year. Seems that way. I think it's interesting that uh, McCary played so well this year and above Ronnie Stanley and the aggregate score. I do forget. Um, is there any? Um, I don't think you do adjust at all for left tackle versus right tackle. Uh, for quality of competition, not left tackle versus right tackle, but oftentimes since the left tackle often faces better pass rushers, he'll get a slight bump there. I would say on average it might be about .02 per game, something like that. Um, okay. This is an adjustment of score. It's, so it's not much. But right tackles, sometimes they get T.J. Watt too. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely on Yeah, I was just curious. Uh, the, the the big difference, and if you if you notice differences between the way I've scored a game and PFF, is typically in terms of penalties. Uh, I do also protect the cone 
in a way that I think PFF doesn't isn't quite as aggressive doing. But I, I the quarterback's got to be able to step into his throw without fear of getting his leg uh, hit in in that process. And and that's something that I'm uh, you know it ends up I I score more pressures even though I give out partial pressures I score more pressures than PFF does. Uh, you know, in terms of his run blocking towards the end of the year, I think we saw some things from Stanley that were very good. Uh, it, always, even when he's been not playing well, Stanley has a lot of extreme veteran savvy on that left side. He's always been a guy who, when he was healthy, could contribute to backside of, of run blocks. And now it's more like he, he knows how to do just enough to get an inside guy off track and out of the play on that left side and then still bounce a guy on the outside so he can't affect the play either. So he often gets a double a double block on the backside of a run play, where that backside defender often, that backside edge defender in particular, can often be the guy who blows up a run play from behind. Yeah. I also really appreciate this year his ability to play um, in the overload sets. Uh, he would be frequently the yeah. one that would be, I guess, displaced, for lack of a better word. And yeah. um, something we didn't explore too, too much, but I thought something that – he looked good in those plays and really um, highlighted his ability to play in space. Yeah. They, they, you know, that's a great point. And, and, you know, one of the reasons what, what Alec is saying is exactly on the money is Stanley, when he, when he gets, when he goes out is the player who wraps up the offensive line on that side. So it's um, it's Moses getting tucked and effectively becomes a guard in, in some ways of thinking of it, an interior lineman uh, when he's in that position and it's not that that role isn't important. It's just Stanley has got a got a very large role in terms of of decision making on that outside role. And sometimes he would be covered up by a sixth offensive lineman. But there were, was even one play where I think Isaiah likely lined up inside him, and he lined yeah. up outside still. So you, you remember what I'm talking about? Isaiah likely was offset by you know half a body length, so it was a, a legal formation, and Stanley was on the line of scrimmage outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a very. Uh tricky play i'm sure that was talked about at 98 minutes before the game yeah oh yeah probably in terms of the meeting with the officials you're referring to that's a that would be a time you wanted to tell them about uh so a, t- a tough year for ronnie stanley one that that you know i'm sure he would not want to repeat uh let's let's talk about a couple of like handicapping situations the first would be maybe maybe give it to me in three okay We'll get, we're going to have, I think there's four outcomes that, that create the entire universe. And outcome number one is the Ravens cut him for the cap savings this year. Sure. Option number two is the Ravens go ahead and pay him, um, but cut him in 2025. And option number three is the Ravens uh, keep him for 2024. And he plays so well that they can work out an extension for 2025. So they they obviously that involve a restructure, void years, all that stuff that would make it easier for them to take a temporary cap hit there and come back. I think that's the entire universe. And you're a tech guy. Oftentimes you can think of, of an example <laughs> that falls between the cracks in there. But I, but I think that's the entire universe of, of possibilities. Yeah, that makes um, sense to me. So so assign me a percentage to each of those that sums to one. I'm going to do the same. I'll write it down and you can just announce yours. Um Okay, let's see. Let me think about that. Yes. Okay, I've got mine. Oh man, this is tough. Um, cool. I think I'm done. Okay, so you you can go ahead and announce. I've got mine written down. I want to write yours down too, next to mine here. So cut, cut in 2020, but prior to 2024. So cut, yeah, cut like this going into the season. I put it five percent. Okay, I put it at 15. I, I don't think it's impossible. I think one of the reasons I think it, it might be a little bit higher, although I'm in favor of keeping him, is that the Ravens may go to him and ask him to take a pay cut. And they may also decide that somebody like Matabike is worth com- keeping. Or if you if you have to go through a rebuilding year now, because they look at all of the, the barriers to entry at various positions and say, we can't, we just, we can't be competitive in the way we want to be this next year. Um, that's a year where Stanley probably goes earlier rather than later. So uh, it, it's not a not an ideal situation, but I I, I get to fifteen overall. In that I, I understand why you'd be at five. Um, cut in twenty twenty five and not extended. I had a sixty percent. Sixty percent. Okay. 
And I have that at 75. I it's definitely the most likely. We agree on that. Uh, and then, so you would have him um, extended beyond 2025 at 35% then? Because that's all, that's got to be all that's left, right? I actually have one more scenario. My bad. Uh, okay. In my head, in my head, I thought you said four scenarios. In my head, I, has, I also had the scenario of uh, he just plays the last two years of his contract and they, that's it. Um, okay. Yeah, that, you're right. That, that actually falls between the cracks then. So play, yeah. I, uh, divide it out for me. How would you, how would you put, I had 25% at extend and 10% at, um, at the, uh, I guess just plays out the contract. And that's actually part of the reason I was thinking about was that last number, those two pieces there. I think it's the only way that happens is he plays well enough in, um, 2025 where like, you're like, okay, he's good. But like, we just know like this guy's a ticking time bomb, (laughs) you know, like we'll, we'll take one more year. Like we just, we'd rather just wait and figure it out after the year. Like we don't need to make a cap savings. Um, let's just, go ahead and, and see the contract. So I actually, I think it's pretty likely that would be the case. Um, I almost want to flip them now because I just don't see wanting to have to pay him early. Like I just, I don't fully believe in the cap savings in that way. <laughs> like you could save the cap later, you know, like the, yeah. the way you want to do it. Like I would just leave it on the, the, the dollars there. I would just want to see that year. I would, I would want to see like at Stanley's point, I would want to just see every single year possible. Uh, <laughs> before making any choices. I mean, that's fair. I just think the pressure is going to be very high to restructure him in some way prior to 25, and it will probably come in the form of an extension, and they'll then suffer. They'll, they'll, first of all, it'll it'll mean they're pushing more cap out via this void year mechanism they seem to be in love with at this point, and trying to get out from under you know, cap hell and 25 hitting. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the big moving parts for that that you, you know, you have a lot of money there. So I think that it's, I would, I would actually think the least likely thing would be that he would play on that contract in 25. I think he almost has to be extended or cut. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have to talk more about the cap. I know I I mentioned to you guys, I would like to do a a show about the cap. I think it's a a very interesting topic. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I appreciate that you're into it. And I, I, like I always say on this show, and I said a couple of times now this off season is the most credible people in terms of people I really want to hear what their ideas are about picking up players or trying to sign one particular Raven are the people who are willing to do two things. One is tell me where you're not going to spend. And two, come with a, a credible cap uh, impact of this and not just a 2024 cap impact, but the actual long-term cap impact um, of spending season ticket holder money, as I call it, <laughs> uh, on the thing. You spend all of Bashadi's money you want on positional coaches, by the way. You're free to do that. Yeah, um, but no, but, I think that's, uh, that's a great uh, scheme. Yeah, against the cap. <laughs> Let's talk Morgan Moses. Uh, another fine year here. I, I, I'm still astounded by the guy's mobility, uh, how he does working in space. His uh, ability to pull has just been a revelation um, over the years. Uh, I've I, I put out the, 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 the feelers. If, uh, if Morgan Moses, if you listen to this show, love to have you on to talk offensive line play in particular, uh, how you're able to maintain momentum, uh, line up blocks in space, do what you do as a puller, because it's, it's remarkable for a man, his size. And, uh, he came to the, the Ravens without a reputation as being that guy fair or not. I mean, I, I was just not aware of it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. When we signed him, it wasn't clear to me. I knew that he played well, but it wasn't clear to me that he played at this level. And I really do think he had a renaissance in his career when he got here. I don't know if that's uh, Joe Alessandris is uh, doing or or what, but he's he's playing super well. And the guy is an absolute gladiator. Barely misses any time in his career. Eight glass and only missed like one game with a, a torn pack or whatever it was, um, and just played through it all year eventually you know had this kind of rotation thing going on which i think was actually the highlight of the whole year very fascinating to have all your tackles mm-hmm. play in every game uh, down the stretch and i just i thought he was like the the glue that made the season possible in many ways uh, offensive line play is so critical to offensive success and i felt like you know, McCary did a very admirable job filling in with Stanley and, and in fact, you know, scored better in your system than Stanley did. I know that Falele played his best game at the end, but I just really feel like that could have been the part that really broke the camel's back with the offense if he was yeah. out. And um, it was really great that Moses was able to power through. Yeah. 
I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and in some ways, I think Moses needed uh, or really it, it benefited the Ravens tremendously to have Moses take a little bit of time off. They did that very interesting system where they staggered the rotation for these players, meaning they never had McCary and Fa'alele on the field at the same time. It was always McCary would come in for the second or third series, and then and then Fa'alele would be in for the next series, replacing Moses with Stanley back on. Uh, I, I thought that was an interesting way to do it. So they were they were definitely wanted to keep four out of five man continuity and the top player on on each side. I thought that was a, a really good way uh, to go about that. Uh, but, but I think, I think both players benefited. And I think even more than that, perhaps we have a star player like Stanley and also a near star player like Moses, you have two players who it's easier for them to both kind of accept the same reduction in role at the same time, because we're doing it on both sides. We're doing it for, to keep you guys healthy for the postseason. We're doing it because you guys are critical. And and their actual usage of the thing backed that up. So they, they didn't, it, it wasn't just a sales job to them. It was also um, that was the way they actually did it. But it was easier to sell it to them because they were doing it to both tackles at the same time. I agree with that. I think uh, the offensive line in general was uh, maybe the, the top schemers of all position groups as far as uh, – getting the best out of their players by doing mind tricks. Uh, we can also go back <laughs> to the, the whole Sala thing and uh, Jeff yes. Simpson. So uh, a lot of uh, 3D chess going on in that unit. Yeah, that's a, the, the Sala and John Simpson <laughs> thing is, is is one of the all-time greats. It's like, why don't you just say I'm going to be the left guard? <laughs> and John Simpson can look at me and say, that <laughs> they also brought Ricard in for that reason. That's actually the real yes. reason. <laughs> Just to add into the lore. <laughs> yes. That's, I had forgotten about the whole Ricard at guard thing, but that is actually hilarious. You know, when you come back to it, it's. Uh, I, I still think he should do it again next year. I, I think it'd be a, an amazing scheme for uh, keeping more linemen on the on the roster. Um, well, you you heard that it did actually cut um, John Simpson's penalties in in Oakland. He had one. Uh, one penalty every 95.5 snaps for his career. <laughs> and, and he cut his penalties to one every 95.4 snaps with the Ravens in 2023. So at that rate, he'll be good. Um, you know, I, I, we heard those chairs on the Simpsons, which are going to eliminate slouching by the year 3000. If you remember that <laughs> reference, it's probably from about season one or season two. But these, <laughs> these are, uh, this is an example of, um, of, of that same kind of thing. It's a long-term project with John Simpson. Yeah, you got to get 1% better every day, right? <laughs> in this case a tenth of a percent better every year and that, that doesn't quite work out as well yeah all right um okay let's so we're talking about Mogus, uh moses here a little bit uh pass blocking uh you know is solid throughout the year obviously even when he played against some good players the one thing i really liked uh as i scored it he never had a fall off the table game this year in fact he never even had an f all of his scores were in the A through D range. And as someone who scores offensive line week to week, I'll just tell you, there's a lot of week to week variation in outcome. And I'm providing a box score. I'm not trying to tell you which exact stats mean a lot for the future. Um, so I'm not trying to say these these pressures aren't any worse than these sacks because the the, the, the pressures are the more um are, are the number that is more stable year to year i'm trying to tell you you know what's the value of the things that happened in this game so you're looking at a box score that says the guy had two home runs and a double and and struck out three times in in four at bats the next game i'm not trying to mitigate that you know that's that's what my grading system tries to do but it's very nice that moses never failed never had a failing grade the entire year ken i would hate to give you any more work but it, i would think it'd be fascinating <laughs> if you were to track in the future a um it's subjective, but like the gotta have it downs. Um, I feel like that was the biggest knock if I had to say anything about Moses. And it, frankly, most of the offensive uh, tackles we had, I felt in the gotta have it downs, that was the downs that they probably performed the worst in aggregate. Like they just were not able to step up to the occasion. And uh, those were the times that like, you know, Moses would get rushed uh, right past or, or Stanley, et cetera. So um, that's definitely one of the tough ones. Um, they definitely, I felt like when, uh, defensive linemen really wanted it. You know, outside linebackers really wanted it. It was a top uh, high leverage play. Those, that's when they were gone most of the time. Okay. You know what? I think that is, a, it's a worthwhile thing to try and study. It's probably an off season thing um, or I have to get better at figuring out ways to re-indexing my plays. So uh, it, it's, uh, 
I don't, I, it should not be more work because the work's <laughs> already been done. So it's a matter of, of, right. of trying to sort, <laughs> sort what you have and yeah, right. tabulating it properly. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's definitely, I, I, I that was like a, one of those things where like we talked about it. Like we were like, I think that's the case, but like, you know, we don't rang it down. It's just like totally off the, off the dome. So let me, let me ask you the, the one question about Moses here that I think is potentially significant is you're going into the final year of his contract. Is yeah. there any reason why you should think about extending him now? Uh, yeah, so he's 33. Um, would be his last contract most likely. What, about three years maybe? Or if you're just doing the two, rolling twos? Um, Ooh, roll, I hate rolling twos. You know how I feel about those. I, I, I'm just saying. It's an option. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know. I really don't know what you do here. I, I mean, you say... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A five million and a half if you cut him. So you could save a little bit more money this year if you wanted to. I don't know. No, I mean, they're not going to cut him. The question is, no, 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 I, no, I'm saying yeah. is like, uh, that's the money that's like kind of fungible. Uh, if they were to extend, right? No, if they, ex okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. I'm not even trying to gain a bonus. I'm not trying to gain a 2024 cap bonus out of the extension. I'm trying to see, see if there's a player yeah. we need to have for 25 and 26 that we should get at a reasonable AAV by trying to sign him now, as opposed to when he's at the end of his contract. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he's a reasonable option. I think uh, the big question would be the seriousness of the pectoral injury. Uh, I do know that he was mentioned as a candidate for surgery, but may or may not have it. It's like a lifestyle thing, right? He was the because Marcus oh. Peter or Marcus Williams was like, I'm not getting surgery. Uh, Morgan Moses was he might get surgery. Um, huh. So I think that would be a, you know, a big part of it. Okay. Oh, that, that uh, obviously is a very big part of it. I hope, I hope surgery at this late date with the Ravens, you know, in the playoffs until late January would, does not mean that um, it would endanger the start of the regular season. Cause that would obviously be, be bad if true, but you know, obviously you want him want him playing at a high level as well. And, uh, and being healthy is very important. I think if oh, you were oh. to get it now, it would at worst impact the first four games kind of thing. And then, okay. uh, you know, you at least have Valele playing at a level you might feel comfortable with. And um, I think that's actually the other big piece, too, is maybe this is a transition. But the level of play we saw of Valele could be exactly why you wait, but you only have one more year of him. So a Falele or of Moses? A Falele. So like, OK, you're Two. like, oh, we're, we're losing Moses in 24. OK, sorry, I'm thinking ahead. So like you, you're saying Moses playing right tackle in 2024, like pretty much solid. Gotcha. Uh, so then, like, you only really would have one starting year of Falele if you were to not extend Moses. Um, I don't know. I guess, like, if they really feel like they're in a cap situation that that feels necessary, like, sure. But I would say if they like Moses enough, they should keep him. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, um uh, yeah, I mean, I, obviously it is an indictment of Falele's uh, ability to replace Moses. If you sign Moses for seven or $8 million per year for a couple of extra years, you're basically saying goodbye to Falele without him ever, uh, getting any significant playing time here in Baltimore. If things work out. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's tough because I think he was a developmental project that seems to have developed decently. Like, um, so I, he, I would suspect he will get a contract somewhere, if not with us. Oh, sure. I mean, he's, he's enormous. He's an enormous human being. <laughs> it's just there's there's I, I, there's two things about Falele that that are bothersome to me. Number one is the the total sample size we're talking about, where he's actually played well. Okay, let's let's do this because it's worth looking at his whole career here. And uh, I got to have the 2022 line up here too. But he played 180 total snaps this season that were scored in my system and 97 at the end of the year. So he had 83 prior to that. Mm -hmm. And in, in his final 97 snaps, he's right around a 0.75 for that entire time. 
it raised his score for the year to .62. So you know how bad he was before that because it was less snaps. He was in the 40s prior to that in the year going into that. And last year for the whole season, that's about where he was, somewhere in the 40s. So this step forward that now covers five games and 97 snaps of this rotational play is an enormous leap forward, just an enormous leap forward. And and just watching the guy play, I don't truly trust him to take over a tackle because he's still not aggressive enough with his hands. He doesn't do things particularly well there. Um, I, I kind of think it's an overstatement in terms of of how he scored. I mean, I'm really happy to see it because it's such a big improvement. But, but on the other hand, I, I kind of think it's an overstatement of – how much we could really expect of him in the future. I think this true level of play is somewhere between those, those two goalposts. Yeah. And it's interesting too. When you look at the, the snaps, I guess at least the good news is in those last four games, he still had games where he played, you know, 49% of snaps twice and then 25 and 30. So like you can compare it directly to his highest snap count games. Cause you can't even say like, Oh, when he plays more snaps, he's less effective. Um, I don't think that's a, a fair argument based mm-hmm. on kind of the stats, but I, I think it is a fair argument to say, okay, what if he played a hundred percent of snaps? And that is uh, unclear. Cause I think if you go back to last season, now granted it's a year prior to his development, but those were the games where it was particularly bad, you know? So yeah, he, he led the, led the Ravens in sacks allowed last year. And he's been by far the highest on the team in sacks allowed per snap played. Um, over his career here. So uh, there's there's a lot of growth still possible. I mean, he's, he's one of the guys, man. We, we'll just go ahead and talk about Fall Lilly now while we're here. He, he could benefit so much from position coaching this offseason. And I don't know what he's getting. I don't know who he's going to. I don't know what offensive line school he's going to. But there's got to be ways he could better use, learn to strike his with his hands. Because that's really all he needs to do is get the opponent off his pass rush plan um, by taking a taking a punch at him, you know, and it, it, obviously he's not just punching the guy below the belt or in the in the <laughs> kidney or whatever. I mean, it's a, you know when you talk punching, we're talking about striking him usually in the shoulder, under the armpit, various places where that defensive lineman who had a plan to go to point A and then reverse to point B, kind of thing or whatever it might have been, is now saying "ouch" instead of making that second movement. Uh, I just I. I, I there's got to be somebody who can help him on that uh, really has not gotten there from the in season and the amount of time Joe D can spend with him. And I honestly think it's, it's a, it's, it's a much more time consuming thing probably to learn to, to get away from patty cake, offensive tackle play. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that you wonder if it's ever going to change at this point, it's been a, enough time you would think in the league and with this, uh, you know, seeing the level of competition that he needs to step up there. But this could be the year. Um, it could definitely still be the year because, you know, okay, the first season he goes in, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. The second season, he thought he did enough, but he didn't. And then he gets like real committed this year, right? Like <laughs> you could see the path, but I don't know. He definitely needs to be more physical and it makes you just wonder if he's just not that person. Um, so, uh, could certainly, could certainly be the case. And, uh, um, it's 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 sad. There, you, you, you know, you run into some play, people in life who are bigger guys who are just not extremely physical guys. They're not they're not violent people, you know, and 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 they don't have to be trained to be nonviolent people. They're just nonviolent because nobody's ever given them any trouble, you know. And and <laughs> uh, you know, in, in in real life, seriously, I mean, you know, guys like that that are you know they, they're six six two eighty. Nobody's gonna gonna challenge them to a fight or pick on them or anything like that. They're just you know they never they never get treated that way. And, uh, and you know, there is something about, you know, being growing up with an edge and, and, and having to deal with uh, um, some of that and, and uh, you know, bringing it to the football field and, and taking it out on the guy opposite you. That's just a, you know, generally speaking, a pretty positive thing for an offensive lineman to do. For sure. All right. What else we want to say about Daniel Falele? I don't think I have anything else. Let's talk about Patrick McCary a little bit because obviously he's been talked about being a very versatile lineman for the Ravens. I personally, I'm beyond all the versatility at this point. The the Ravens, what the Ravens need Patrick McCary to be is a serviceable backup left tackle. I don't want him. I don't want to ever see him playing another position because the injury risk is not worth it. We've seen it come up with with players like Tyree Phillips, where he got injured playing guard when he really needed to be the backup tackle. 
I'm going to push back a little bit on that. And the reason I'm putting the pushback is here we go. 30th pick in the draft. We select a left tackle. Let's say yep. that one of the big six fall. Uh, I hear that's the number. I haven't done my evaluation yet. But <laughs> so like they uh, they fall down. We get that guy. And then we're like, OK, we really feel comfortable with this person playing left tackle. Does that allow you to have McCary be a true, you know, versatility man? And then you don't keep on the roster a Sala or, a, you know, Mustafer. You know what I mean? Like that like fringe line yep. guy. I could definitely see that being the case because you have to keep your tackles around. Um, and yeah, just from a numbers game perspective. Okay. So, so first of all, I completely agree with you. If you're saying it's, he doesn't need to be the backup left tackle. If he's really the third left tackle, I've got no problem, no problem at all with that. Okay. So if, if he's, if he's, if he, if you have the luxury of moving him back to center guard, right tackle, wherever he might help the team otherwise, then, then I'm fine with him being the backup. I'm just saying in the Ravens current build, he is too valuable. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Left oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. Yeah. 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 OK. Uh, and otherwise, you know, had a had a uh, a, a solid year. He, he, he extreme variation in games for McCary. So just looking at this, um, he had a great game against Cincinnati. Let me go back to it here because I don't want to misstate this. Yeah. Great game against Cincinnati in week two. Uh, and, and he was on the left side, played 68 snaps, um, uh, you know, bottom of the A range, basically. Um, and, he, and he's going up against Hendrickson in that game, a guy who, who has given him trouble at other times. The second time, of course, he faced him again. And he got a D plus in the game. That was in the game at, in Baltimore. Uh, Ravens won that one also, right? Yeah, they, they won both against the Bengals this year. So yeah. uh, it, he had lots of variation. Otherwise, he had a terrible game against Miles Garrett in week four, even though the Ravens won that game and he had a really bad game against miles Garrett again in week 10. So, uh, and then against, um, high Smith in week 18, he was also quite bad, but a point 31 in that game. Stanley did play some of the, some of the games, but just, if you look at the, 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 the histogram for his play, the entire season, it's all over the place. It's, it's not at all like Morgan Moses. Who's a very, you know, all the, no, none of the performances fall off the chart. McCarry's got those at, at tackle, and that's why you don't. He's not the guy I would want, you know, as my starting tackle for the year. But he, he's a guy, given the paucity of talent in the NFL at the position, I'm perfectly happy to have as the backup. For sure, yeah, definitely. Uh, I thought it was a very savvy move to extend him when we did, um, con- particularly considering the qu- like the quality of snaps played at ex- otherwise expensive positions. So yes. Um, definitely was a good pickup there and, um, a young, a young player, you know, only going into his year 27 season, um, definitely feels like a guy who could be eligible for an extension, but at the same time, truly does feel like uh, a luxury that we might not get to afford again. Yeah. So he's signed through 24 only. And I have not heard any notion that McCary would be cut, but there is a $4.35 million cap savings. So it might be he's a, he's a case where you try and extend him, whether that means, you know, it's more cap manipulatable extension dollars where you can, you can sign him to a one-year deal with incentives, puts a bunch of money into void years that, that uh, you know, he gets paid at the end of the year, but also gives him a chance to earn some more money. He might be perfectly willing to do that. Um, maybe add a year at a, at a reasonable price. Um, but I agree with you, you know, they've got a lot of, lot of hands out now for money and a lot of places where they have to be very careful about spending it. And I don't know where you stand on the Matabike thing, but the Matabike thing will definitely send some other players packing if they, if they tag him and retain him, whether he plays on the tag or whether he's extended. Yeah, I, I I would say my my gut feeling is that if if we were to tag him, we were trying we were trying to trade him, um, and I'd be okay with that. But uh, I don't know if I want him to extend to a long term deal. Okay, so so you're you're not sure. Yeah, wow. So that puts him in an uncomfortable position of playing kind of chicken because they'll if they they have to be sure there's a team out there that wants him. At some at some reasonable premium to the enormous contract they're going to have to sign him to, or or just even some premium to the to the tag value this year, um, uh, and and another team might come along to him and say, look, 
you put yourself in this position, but we can't take him off your hands on the tag like this because we're not sure we can sign him. We'll give you a fifth round pick for him now, but we won't give you a, a second round pick or a third round pick. And then the Ravens actually lose relative to the, you know, the the, the value they could harvest from a from a a, a pick uh, in twenty five that they would get if he if he just left. Um, I, you know, the, the one thing they cannot have Matabike do is play on the tag this year. So they have to they have to either figure it out for an extension or for a a, a tag and trade, uh, but they they can't have him play on the on the tag this year. Yeah, it's a complicated one uh, for sure, but do trust a EDC to figure it out. Do, do you think there's a what what percentage chance would you put on him being not tagged and just allowed to walk? Fifteen. Uh, okay, I, I was going to say five to ten, and it would really have to come down to you know how do they want to deal with those dollars in there? Otherwise, I just I I guess there's also the transition tag, isn't there? I'm not that sure is how a that tag I've heard of, but I don't know yeah. what it does. <laughs> I can't remember. I think it's it's an offer matching version of the franchise tag. Okay. That uh, you know, there's no there's no picks involved, but they they you know they basically send somebody out to the market, and the Ravens get to match the offer made to them. I so uh, I guess if uh, if it doesn't screw up the comp pick situation, then that that seems reasonable. I could add add okay. to the percentages. Okay. All right. Well, uh, what a, let's get back to the offensive tackle situation here for a while. How do you how do you foresee this offseason playing out in terms of of what they try and do with the with the tackles they have and the and the tackles they might get in the draft? Where would you expect them to uh, to, to pick in terms of a tackle? I feel like it has to be the first pick. I feel like it's a, a unless unless the draft goes kind of crazy and they all these excellent tackles get drafted super fast. Um, and, and there's nobody left at the end. Um, and there's a you know, large fall off or something in talent. I feel like it's, it's kind of a must. Uh, the, the tackle gods are, are being kind to us with all these options. And uh, I think it's the position I look most forward to studying this year, which is uh, fun to say because I don't think I've ever said it. Um, but like the tackle this year is the, is the thing I'm most curious about. I want to know like, you know, 25 tackles plus. And, and I, would, I would love to hire or to – uh, draft two, I think it's reasonable, and um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a top priority, and I don't even feel bad. I don't feel I don't feel like the Ravens need to feel bad about being in that position, um, where they feel like they have to take a tackle because um, it's usually I, I would say it's probably not a bad choice. <laughs> like, okay. So like if, taking a tackle is always a good idea, in my opinion, as long as like it's a, a quality player and it's not like a crazy reach. Right. So, so, and that is, that's often the question is, you know, are you really getting Trevor Penning uh, at that pick who has, you know, a lot of flaws, a lot of penalties, you know, a lot of things that are, are red flags in terms of his pro play, which unfortunately did really show up in his, in his, uh, in what happened his year with the Saints. But are, are, are you, are you willing to do that? Because if you, if you get a guy at the end of the first round and he ends up being a, a quality left tackle, the nice thing is your fifth year option has real value. Because that's a position where he's tossed in with all the other linemen for purposes mm-hmm. of determine how you have to pay him at the end of that. Whereas, you know, picking Trevor, picking um, Tyler Linderbaum meant that the Ravens probably can't use the fifth year option as a way to de- derive additional value from that pick. They have to extend Linderbaum probably prior to his fourth season. Um, they, they might, you know, they might use the option anyway and just. Uh, threatened to pay a little more for him or, or use the franchise tag after four years. But they, they, they do have options on, on, on what they would do. But either of those is, you know, you might be end up paying tackle money for a center, which is what, not yeah. what you want to do. So I, I, at left tackle, and this has also been true at edge and wide receiver and quarterback primarily, you really get value at the end of the first round with that 50 year option. If, if, if it's any other position other than that, you generally, you know, it's that, 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 cost on the on the tag is too high to really make it a make it a good high value option agreed i think uh to me the i (sighs) i guess like i just would draft i only draft players i like like i i don't like i never liked penning enough to draft him like i Mm -hmm. sure you know in the fourth or fifth round but you know he's gonna go before then so it's like one of those like he's off my board essentially Mm -hmm. right um so i just i'm i'm comfortable saying no to a player and being wrong about them i hate 
drafting players that I like or like that um, I didn't like, but because everyone else said they were good and then like them turning out bad. Like I, right. I just, like, I don't feel good about it. Like I, I know maybe this is not the way to be a GM and that's why I'm not one, but like I personally like to feel good about my picks no matter what. Right. <laughs> and I don't like to take gambles on guys I don't actually like. Cause like everyone else is telling me to, like, I'm just, I, I have always felt bad that way. So, uh, that's just not the way I would, yeah. I would draft. There's another component to that. And I, I, I'd like to get your take on this as somebody who discusses the draft or after it's just happened. And, and, you know, you're on my draft show and whatnot frequently enough to, to talk about the value of trades and, and other things, you know, as, as soon as a player is taken, I, I, I will have an opinion relative to my own, you know, where I thought the guy should have fit in. And Caillou Blue Kelly was a guy I had as a no on my list of draftable corners. So I, I get you know, sometimes honestly visibly upset with 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 draft picks <laughs> that get made. I was not happy with the queen pick. And, you know, I, I, I remember being consoled by two of the people. I can't remember. It was, it was Coach uh, uh, was one of them or, or who was the other. But they're, they're me, you know, it might have been Michael Crawford. And you know, trying to say, well, okay, come on, you got to get over it, Ken. And I was like, no, I really like Xavier, Xavier McKinney better. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> I remember just, that year. Yeah. <laughs> so it, we, we, there's been times it really shows up. The Derwin well, James pick, of course. But. Well, and the craziest thing, too, is like, you know, we play the Rams and they're like, oh, we really liked Puka Nakua. I loved him. I said he would be great. And I'm like, he was drafted after Caillou Kelly. How did this happen? <laughs> How could you possibly do this to us? <laughs> Yeah, so they, they, you know, it's one of the things that happens in the draft, and it could happen at tackle also, which is why I feel okay talking about this on the tackle show. Is that you can chase the value of a position group down because the rest of the league has a bigger need, and I think that's what happened to the Ravens at corner last year. Is Caillou Blue Kelly was somewhere on their board as a need pick, maybe more than as a value pick. Although there, there are probably some scouts who said, hey, we love the way this guy plays football. He played in a bad situation at Stanford, blah, 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 blah. But the truth of the matter is he had a terrible year as a senior, just a terrible year. And he was one of the guys that it really didn't make any sense in terms of of uh, yards per target and whatnot that, that he'd be at really even a draftable player. But if he was a draftable player, maybe he's a seven, um, you know, a guy that you're you're okay losing to that first cut. Uh, and the Ravens obviously hoped they would, and he's been since cut by two other teams. So um, yeah. it's not like they, they were the only ones. Not to like continue deviating off of the tackle conversation, but I do wonder if he got picked up by other teams for no other reason than he was drafted by the Ravens. And like maybe they saw something we didn't. Like how much did that value? Because like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a, a training camp cut and never on another team again if it wasn't for the fact that he had draft capital associated with them. That could be true, and I've got to I've got to look up on his wiki and see if he's with his fourth team yet because he's probably signed a futures deal by now, right? So according to this, he's with the Commanders. Yeah, there's fourth team. So Ravens, Seahawks, Packers, Commanders. Now, um, uh, he's actually claimed during the season, December thirteenth, he was claimed off waivers by the Commanders. Hmm. One of the things about that is there there is a lot more. Um, regression in the cornerback pool than just about any other in terms of the replacement level dropping during the season. So a player like Caillou Bukele is, is a player that a, a desperate team will look at late in the year. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I, I think we pretty well covered all the tackle needs, including what will happen for next year. I'm expecting also a first round, first round pick. Um, I think it is their highest draft need. Uh, we've had news come out today that we're not going to talk about relative to the wide receiver room. Uh, we just don't have enough facts at this point to, to discuss it. Obviously, yeah. that could change the situation, but we're recording this on on uh, Thursday night, the 9th of February. This is going to come out a week from now, and we don't know if the world will have changed by then, but uh, uh, but hopefully uh, it won't have, and the Ravens' greatest need will still be at, uh, at offensive tackle. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. That'd be bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> so. Fair enough. But, yeah. Uh, Alec, always a pleasure talking football with you or pretty much anything with you uh, <laughs> uh, when we get the chance and uh, happy you, you came on. Tell folks uh, where they can find your work. Well, Ken, I'm, I'm very disappointed that we're not uh, packing your bags for, for Vegas. I was looking forward to playing some crafts with you. Uh, so yep, me too. Maybe some, maybe some other time. But uh, uh, you can find me online at Apolianus and at One Winning Pod. All right. Other folks out there, the, the historical thing we're going to be working on this year is once there was a player, 
And I, I want you to give me that Raven who's not in the top tier of players. You don't have to do Yonder or Suggs or Lamar Jackson or anybody else. Give me that second tier player. You want to talk about Vinny Testaverde, he'd be okay. You want to talk about Trent Dilfer and what he did for the Ravens, that'd be cool. Brandon Stokely, that, that, that's a name from the distant past. But you've got that player that's a favorite to you for some reason, and you like this play for some reason. I want to hear you talk about that guy. Uh, and maybe you know we, we bring back some memories of some players who, that, that really meant something to us from, from anywhere between now, five and you know 20, what, 27 years ago now, right? At this point, it could be. So uh, we'd love to talk about some of those. Derek Alexander is a name that came up tonight as a, as a, as a really good Raven in the first couple of years of their existence. I think that'd be, he'd be a, a, another fun one. But uh, what I'd like you to do is DM me, with your choice of player, I'll reserve that for you, and then we'll set a time to to talk about him. And I'm going to talk with Alec right after the show is over and, and get his selection. But <laughs> Alec, Alec, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.